Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? It's good to see all your faces. I know that uh, they, they've placed a, a screen just so that I could see the Zoom feed and I could see all your beautiful faces uh, today. For those that are joining us for the first time, I just want to reiterate just welcome to our family, welcome to our, our church family. If you are joining us, again, reach out to us. We would love to connect. We would love to be able to uh, meet any needs that you're looking for as you're, as you're looking for a spiritual home as well. For if you are joining us, we are going through uh, our sermon series called The Life of David. Um, we've kind of gone through 1 Samuel, now we're into 2 Samuel, and we're in a place now where um, Saul is dead, David is now ascending to the throne. Today we're going to go through 2 Samuel, and we're going to be covering actually a pretty big chunk of scripture. We're going to be going through chapters 2 to 5, and so um, for those that have been around for a long time, you know how I preach, and so get, some, get your blanket because it's going to be a long one. No, it's not. I, I, I've really learned to condense my sermons in this COVID time. So, But some of us might be like, well, why are we studying Second Samuel? Why are we looking at the life of David? Why do we look at such old story and this history? Well, because it says this in Scripture in 1 Corinthians. It said, these things happened to them as an example, but were written down for our instructions on whom the end of the age has come. So when we study these things, it's not just so that we study and know the history of it, but it works as an encouragement and to give us an example of how God wants us to live. So today we got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. Let's pray first, and uh, we'll get into the sermon here. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to study your word and that we are able to come uh, to you to know that you are the God you are Father, you are Lord, you are King that watches over our lives. And Lord, that you have a word, a living word that speaks to us daily and that teaches us in terms of how we are to live, how we are to relate to each other, how we are to relate to you. So Father God, we just pray, Lord, that as we look into your word today, Lord, that your spirit comes upon us and encourages us to live according to your way. So Father God, as we dive into scripture, Lord, may we give all our worship and all our praise to you. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you guys ever come to a point in life where you have this feeling of finally I've arrived? Finally, it's my turn. You've been looking forward to it and now the day has come. It could be your high school graduation going through 12 years of school, and finally you're like, oh, I'm done. It could be a college graduation where you're, you've, you've labored for four years and say, oh, finally I have a degree. I could become an adult now. Or it could be the day that you're going to stand at the altar and commit your life to your partner. Where you're like, I'm going to be married. I'm going to start a new life. Or it could be the day where your baby comes, where you're at the hospital in the anticipation of being a parent for the first time. It could be a job promotion where you've worked so hard at a job and you're, you've, you've done and went through all the steps, you've been under the worst bosses, and now your day has come that now my day has arrived. 
This is that moment for David. It is the moment as we start in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel that Saul is now dead and God has already anointed David at a very young age through Samuel to become the next king, the successor to Saul. Of course, Saul wanted to pass it down to his sons, right? He didn't want to pass it down to David. That's why there was a jealousy that was there. That's why there was this this tension for Saul where he really did not like David and to a point where he wanted David dead because he wanted his legacy to continue and instead of allowing David to come on, he he wanted to take David out. But instead, God saw Saul and said, and, and his heart became hard, and Saul came to his demise at the battlefield. He was killed along with his sons. And now David, who was in hiding, knows this is my day. My day has come. So why didn't God simply just place David on the throne over Israel? Why didn't the fact that Saul was dead, now everybody in Israel, it was always already prophesied by Samuel that David is the one that's going to lead Israel into victory over the Philistines and over all of their enemies. Why didn't God just place David right onto the throne from the start since Saul was already dead? Could God not have done that? Of course he could, but he didn't. And God allows things to work out this way for a couple of reasons. First, because there is always a tension that we live in. We always live in a tension of what is God's will and what is our will. And when we live in this tension, there's always oppositions that are trying to walk in the way that God wants things to be done. But second, is in the face of oppositions, the trials and the sufferings and the difficulty, God wants to remind us that in spite of all of these things, that he is always working to establish his kingdom. So in 2 Samuel, no matter what the trouble is, as David rises into his position as king, we're going to see that God always is establishing his promise. So now that Saul has died, Jonathan has also died, David is starting, starting verse 1 of chapter 2, inquires of the Lord. This is something that we've seen of David many, many times throughout, throughout the story of 1 Samuel. That before David does anything, he will always go to the Lord. That he knows, that even though David knows, this is my promise. I know that I'm going to be king. Samuel has told me the whole nation of Israel knows. But yet, before I go into it, I need to go see, see the Lord. So what does he go? He says, he goes to the Lord and says, shall I go into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, to which shall I go? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there with his two wives, and he, he set up his, his, his kingship in Hebron. Hebron is in the southern kingdom of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, and not of Jerusalem, of Judah. It's, so Hebron is part of the southern kingdom of Judah. So David is only ruling Judah right now. There is basically a split that's happened. Saul set his palace and his, his camp up 
in Israel, in the northern kingdom, and David goes to the southern kingdom and sets up his palace. So meanwhile, as all of this is happening, there's a guy by the name of Abner. He is one of the commanders of, commanders of the army for, for Saul, but he's also the uncle of Saul. So he's been with Saul for a long time, and he knows that David was supposed to be set as king, but instead of doing that, he had his own agenda, and what he decided to do was he set up, he set up his nephew, his name is, okay, I'm going to be butchering a lot of names today, so unfortunately, I'm not really sure how to say these names, and I'm going to probably, yeah, so Saul's uncle sets up Ish-bosheth as king. I think that's how you pronounce it. And made him king over the northern kingdom of Israel. So basically what's happening right now is there's a civil war that's happening within Israel. It's the north against the south. There's David's army, and then there is Abner's army, which is basically Ish-bosheth's army, but Abner is really the, the one that is driving everything, because we, we learned that Isbosheth is actually a little bit scared of Abner. So in, in, this, in this story, we see that David actually rules for 40 years over Israel. That's the tenure of his, his kingship, but he ruled for first for seven and a half years in Hebron in the southern kingdom. And so we have Abner, who's the commander in the north, and David has set Joab as his commander in the south. And Joab has three brothers. Their name is Abishai and Ashael, and they are the sons of Zeruah. And Zeruah, as we learn in First Chronicles, is actually David's sister, Okay. So we, sometimes we don't get to know who the, the, the girls in the family are. Like we always know that David had brothers, but David also had sisters, okay? And so we've, we learned that, that David's sister, Zeruah, had three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Ashael, and they were all part of David's army. So essentially, these are David's what? These are David's nephews that are leading his army. And so they go into battle. It's Abner versus Joab. They've... They come and face each other. They send out 12 men, which kind of represents the 12 tribes, and that's how they they kind of fight. It's not this Lord of the Rings massive, like, clash of the the, the armies. It's It's nothing like that. This is send out 12, you send out 12, we'll fight. What happens is that David's army annihilates Abner's army, kills them just completely wipes them out. At the, at the end of chapter 2, you see that at the end of these battles, David lost 19 men, whereas Abner lost over 360 men. This is an annihilation. It's not just a, a, a simple battle. David had favor with God, and, David, and God was behind David in all of these battles. In part of this battle, Ashael, who is the youngest brother of Joab, was pursuing Abner, and Abner was running, and it talks about how Ashael is as, as gallant as an antelope. He's fast, he's speedy, he's pursuing Abner, and Abner turns around and is like, stop chasing me. If you don't stop chasing me, I'm going to kill you. Abner, Ashael doesn't let up. Abner, what 
ends up happening is he basically impales a shale with the blunt end of his spear and kills him. And as, as those, this, these battles go on, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. David wins battle after battle against Abner, and he becomes stronger and stronger. God continues to help David win the battles. As long as David continued to walk out God's promises, the battles keep being won. This is a picture that I want you to take today. That is that if we walk with God, we come, become stronger and stronger, and our enemy becomes weaker and weaker which means that the oppression and the obstacles around us become weaker. In Proverbs it says, commit your work to the Lord and he will establish your plan. That if you commit yourself to God, and as God will work out the plans that are set before you. That all we need to do is commit ourselves to God's work. So as this civil war continues, we see... There, 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 this, this little confrontation that happens between Ishbosheth and Abner. And in that consultation, Abner gets extremely insulted. It was over the fact that Abner took one of Saul's concubine as his wife. And Ishbosheth's like, that's not right. You're, you're not king. You should not be taking one of the king's concubines as your wife. And Abner looks at Ishbosheth and says, Have I not set you up as king? I could have just completely given everything over to David, but you insult me by confronting me about this, whereas I could just take you down. And Ishbosheth gets scared, so he, he completely t- retracts everything he says, but Abner's at a place where he's like, Okay, forget it. I'm going to join sides with David because he's so insulted. And so Abner sets up a meeting with David. He goes over to David and, and basically says, I, if you allow me to, I will ha- hand over Israel over to you to give you the entire kingdom. And so David's like, oh, that's easy. That's great. Let's do that. Let's end all this battling. Let's end all these things and let's do that. But first, I need you to do something, and it is to bring my wife, Michael, back to me. Remember, Saul gave his daughter, Michael, to David as a prize for beating the Philistines. And then in the, in the midst of all of that, Saul, as David ran away, Saul gave Michael to another man. And she was remarried to another man, and David's like, no, I need you to bring her back to me. So this is what we're, gonna, what we're doing. We're, I need you to bring her back. And so Abner's like, okay, sure, we'll do that. And out of that, Joab hears about Abner coming to David, and Joab does not trust Abner. Joab's like, he's a spy. You can't trust him. He's fought us this entire time. He has an ulterior motive, and he's going to, he's going to do something. But Joab is speaking out of the anger out of his heart because Joab knows that this is the man that killed my brother and I want revenge. I want, to, 
I want to take this guy out because of what he's done to my family. And so what, what ends up happening is Joab calls Abner back as a, as a, like, oh, you forgot something. But as Abner comes back, Joab does what? He kills him. He kills Abner. And when David finds out, David is livid. He is so angry. He's just like, this is not how we do things. This is not the way that, that God wants me to do things, that the blood that he has shed is on your hands. It's not on mine. It's on your hands. And what happens is David mourns for Abner. We see this time and time again with David. David, when he hears that Saul has died, instead of rejoicing that his enemy and the one that is against him is dead, David mourns and grieves for Saul. At the same time, when Abner, who is also was one of David's enemies, is, is killed, David's like, no, this is not the way we do things. This is not how God does things. And so David becomes angry, and he's like, the death is on your hands, Joab. It is on your family. The results of this and the consequence of this will not rest on me, but on you. And he fasts for the death of Abner, and he grieves on his death. Meanwhile, two captains of Saul named Banna and Rechab assassinates Bosheth, Ishbosheth, while he was sleeping. They're thinking, oh, we're going to be joining the, the southern kingdom, so we need to end this kingship too. So they go in the afternoon when the king is sleeping in his bed. They go and they decapitate him, take his head, and they go and present it to David, thinking that, oh, we've done a good thing. David again looks at these two men and is just like, why did you do this? This man was righteous. He did nothing wrong. Why did you kill him? We don't need to do things this way. We don't need to take things into our own hands just so that God's plan will, will walk out. So David looks at these two men who think that they've done the right thing, and David says to them, he says, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, God continues to... So what David is saying is that God continues to protect me through everything that I have had to walk through. I don't need you guys to do these things for me. That God has, has done all of these things for me. That God will lead me. He, he, he leads me out of adversity. Even in, the, in my trials and in my suffering, God is there. I don't need you guys to do these things and take these things and these accounts into your own hands. And so what David is, is trying to, to, to say that I walk in line with what God, how, how God wants me to walk. I don't need to do other things because I trust that God has the perfect plan for me as I walk out his plan. And so what does David do? David said, the one that told me that Saul was dead, thinking that they did the right thing and looking for reward, I had them killed for their actions. Now you come killing a king in his sleep, so the consequence of your action is also death. And so he also 
kills Banna and Rechab. And then he takes the head of Ishbosheth and buries him with Abner. David knows that God has called him to be king of Israel. He knows that this is my destiny. But what David understands more is that his heart needs to be more in line with God's heart. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so David also, after God's heart, does not take pleasure in it. Instead, David's mercy for them is greater than his desire of being king. This shows David's humility and his great character for any leader or king. Then David is now set over as king over Israel. That is kind of the brief overview of of what chapter 2 to 5 has to say. And I want to point out three things that David has teaches us. First, that David trusts that God is always establishing his promised kingdom. That David knew that God is always there. He's always establishing what he promised us. This is something that we need to learn from David, is that we need to trust that God has a plan for us. If he's called us to do something, if he's giving you a word that this is where I want to take you, that God will always establish that. We may not feel it at, at, at certain points. We may feel like God isn't doing his job, and we may want to interfere in that and say, I need to, I need to do something here. But what David knew is that through all the trials, think about it, David got anointed as a young boy, around 13 years old. As a young boy, he already knew, I'm going to be king. By the time he stepped into the throne in Judah, he was 30 years old. And from the time that he was in Hebron to him ruling over all of Israel was another seven and a half years after that. That David knew that the journey for him to get to this place that God promised it to him already. So he already trusted God in this and knowing that God is going to give this to me and therefore at this time, as impatient as I sometimes feel, that God will establish it. And that as God establishes it, it will always be better than what I do. The second thing that David teaches us in this story is that as David walks with God, that he grew stronger and stronger. That as David understood his his relationship with God more, and as he saw that God never failed him in each and every battle, God was there for him in each and every moment as he was hiding in caves, and even at moments where he had the opportunity to kill Saul, David knew that this was not the right thing to do because God doesn't want me to do this, so he didn't do it. And in those moments, what happened is that he grew stronger in his faith. That God wants us to go through sometimes these trials and these these struggles because he wants to build our character and help us become stronger. This is something that David understood. That it is in these trials that we have to go through that God gives us the strength to go through it. But we learn to build on those strengths upon strength and we grow stronger and stronger. What ends up happening is that the enemy that comes against us 
all of the devil's plans, all of our, our, the people that are trying to stop what God is doing in our lives, all of those things, all of our struggles, all of our addictions, all of these things that we may be dealing with because we go stronger with God, all of a sudden, those things become weaker. That the power that these things have over your life become weaker and weaker because you become stronger and stronger. And third, that David's heart is always, 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 always in line with God's heart. That is so important for us because sometimes we feel like, oh yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus and therefore everything that I do is, is, is in the right place. But God has this, such a, a, a good plan for your life. He's written your plan even before you existed and God wants you to be able to walk in line with who he is. And so David's heart is always, always in line with God's heart. That's why, that's why God chose David. God chose David not because, not because he was the, the biggest and the strongest of people. It wasn't because he was the smartest and the wisest of people. God chose David because David's heart was always in line with his. That's why David was chosen, and that's why David was raised as a king. Because God knew who David was. God knew that David's heart will always be in line with his. That's not to say that David didn't fail. As we see, as we continue in the story, David makes one of his greatest failures later as his throne is established. And we will get into that in a couple of weeks. And we see that that failure actually brings David down to his downfall. What this gives us is that we also see that David is human. And that David, even though he is so in line with God, that even he fails. Even he falls. But what this sets up for us is a bigger picture. That as God sets up this kingdom of, of Israel, it is a foreshadow of the kingdom that he is to set. Because out of David's lineage comes Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect king. Today, as I give you this overview of David... God established David over a time period and his rise into his kingdom lasted over seven and a half years. Oftentimes we want things to happen so fast for us. You're like, oh, that's a promise. Okay, let's, let's jump to it. Sometimes we, we receive these prophetic words and we're just like, oh, God says, this is going to happen. And you're like, okay, perfect, let's do it. This is a journey that I had to walk through myself. As I joined the church, I was in my early 20s. I, I just turned 39 on Thursday. So this tells you how long I've been with the church and how old I am now. But one of the things as I joined the church in my early 20s is that I kept on getting these prophetic words that you're going to be married, you're going to be a father. So in my early 20s, I'm listening to this. In my late 20s, I continue to listen to this, and I'm just like... Am I going to get married? Am I going to be a father? From the first prophetic word that gave this to me, I was 24 years old. To the day that I got married, I was 33 years old. To the day I became a father, I was 35 years old. 
God worked out his plan. But if I, if I saw that and I heard God is going to make me a father, and I'm like, okay, um, I need to find a girl. I need to focus everything on be finding this girl. And then I need to get this girl pregnant so that I can be a dad. That may not have worked out very well. One of the things that, for me in this journey, was the aspect of learning to trust in God. Learning that God has my, my best interest in mind. That God loves me so much that he knows my character, he knows my heart, he knows what I need. And so even in this journey of, of trying to figure out what it means to become a husband and then to become a father, God taught me so much more. I remember when, when Steph and I first reconnected again. I mean, Steph and I have known each other for 20 years now. This May, I would have met Steph 20 years ago. So I met Steph when I was 19. She was 20. We, we met at a Campus Crusade. It's not called Campus Crusade. No, it's called Power to Change now. Uh, we met at a, a missions project in Toronto. And we've been friends from that day. She was actually the worship leader, and I was her drummer, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> those, those were the days. Um, no, no, you don't need me, Ben. You don't want me playing drums anymore. We, we met 20 years ago, and if you told me at that time that Steph was going to be my wife, I would have been like, what? Like, we don't even live in the same city. We're on this project together. We're good friends. But I would never have thought that Steph would become my wife. And years went on, and and when I finally moved to this city, we sort of reconnected because Steph and I have a ton of mutual friends. We have so many mutual friends. And we, we, we saw each other at different events and, and different parties. And she was invited to a couple of our events here at Five Stones. And even then, it was just, we're good friends. And so one day, God's like, no, this is... This is, this is the beauty that I've laid before you. You're just blind to it because you're dumb and you're dense and, and I need to make you stronger and stronger. And so in that moment, as God made me stronger, Steph became my girlfriend and then Steph became my wife. But what I learned from all of that is that if I were to get married to Steph earlier, we would not have the marriage that we have today. That if I were to marry Steph earlier, we would not be making the decisions that we are making today in life together. That we would not have the kids that we would have and not raising the kids that to, in the place that they need to, to be raised. In a, in, a, in a family where it's safe, in a family where, where, where we love God and where we serve God. And so God has his plan. God has his plan for each and every single one of you. God has his plan that he has spoken over you guys, and he's like, I am establishing this promise in your, in your life. As I end off here, I want to look back at this verse. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. This is the takeaway I want you to take away today. That you take this phrase and you insert your name. And you grew stronger and stronger 
while your flesh, your enemy, your addictions, your pride, the devil, anything that comes against you, any oppression that comes against you, become weaker and weaker. This is what I want you guys to take away today. This is what I want you guys to see. We wa- I want you guys to be confronted with this thing where I want God to do all things in my life. In Philippians 1.6, it says that I am sure of this, sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That in Romans 8, it also says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God has this purpose for you and this this destiny for you. And God wants to work it out with you and he wants to walk it out with you. And God will make the way for you to go through it. All you need to do is do what David did. Come in line with God. Walk with him. Trust that he has your best in his heart and in his mind. And as you grow stronger in that, anything that comes against you will become weaker. And I promise you that is the reality of walking with God. That you don't need to battle these things, that God will help you fight those battles. And so that's what I want to leave with you guys today. I want you guys to be able to take this away knowing that God is, is doing his kingdom work in your life and establishing you. And he is also doing that in the bigger picture of the church. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your story. We thank you for just these passages that you have given us. Lord, although they are long and these stories sometimes don't make a lot of sense to us, Lord, that there is something that you want to refresh us with, and that is the character of David, that it was written down for us to observe so that we know this is the way that you want us to walk. So, Father God, we ask for you to help us become stronger and stronger, and we ask for the oppression that comes against our lives, those that discourage us, those that that that. Take us down, those, the devil's work of addiction, the, the, the strongholds that are put in our lives. Lord, we ask that as we become stronger with you, that these things become weaker. <coughs> so, Father God, we submit our lives to you. We come before your feet, and we, uh, we ask for your heart. We ask for your vision. We ask for your your vision for our lives. But most importantly, we ask that as a church, we move together with you. So Lord, we love you. We give all praise and honor to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the rhema that Pastor John called out for us from 2 Samuel chapter 3 that David grew steadily stronger and stronger. And I really do want you to take that to heart. One of the things that we do as pastors and preachers is we just want to hear what's the trumpet sound of the Spirit each and every week. And there's one verse that you want to take away. You want to be encouraged by the fact that God will make you stronger and stronger. When you walk in God's will, you are a king. 
Let's say that again. When you walk in God's will, you are a king. And the kingdom is expanding through you because you are walking in his will. And the kingdom is expanding in you so that you can experience his kingdom and also walk that out. And so kingship is part of our inheritance in the Lord. And why did God take another seven and a half years before David's kingship was consolidated? Because God is always working the character of Jesus in us. That's the most important thing in our lives. He's not a microwave God. He doesn't do things instantly. It takes time to create a masterpiece. And so while we may chafe against the prolonged timelines that we seem like God has us on, yet he is doing something beautiful and powerful. And it requires us for us to be patient and to persevere. But just know that when you're walking in his will like David was, God is on your side and you will get stronger and stronger despite the seemingly external trials and tribulations. Proverbs 16, 7, I was just reminded of this verse when Pastor John was preaching, is that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, like David's was, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. David didn't have to go and, and even lift a finger. All these things were orchestrated behind the scenes in terms of coming to that culmination of his kingship because his ways are pleasing to God. So know that God is on your side. He is for you. He will make even your enemies to cease and he will cause you to be stronger and stronger. So I encourage you to continue to read through 2 Samuel as we go through the life of David. There's so much that's in there and um, hope that you will be encouraged by his life.